0: Section 9 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 9, The Letters, 1775, Part 4. Braintree, 21 October, 1775. To John Adams. The sickness has abated here and in the neighboring towns, In Boston, I am told, it is very sickly among the inhabitants and the soldiery. By a man, one Haskins, who came out the day before yesterday, I learned that there are about twenty-five hundred soldiers in town. How many there are at Charlestown, he could not tell. He had been in irons three weeks, some malicious fellow having said that he saw him at the Battle of Lexington. But he proved that he was not out of Boston that day upon which he was released and went with two other men out in a small boat under their eye to fish. They played about near the shore while catching small fish till they thought they could possibly reach Dorchester neck. No sooner were they perceived attempting to escape than they had twenty cannons discharged at them, but they all happily reached the shore. He says, no language can paint the distress of the inhabitants, most of them destitute of wood and of provisions of every kind. The bakers say, unless they have a new supply of wood, they cannot bake above one fortnight longer. Their biscuit are not above one half the former size. The soldiers are obliged to do very hard duty, and are uneasy to a great degree, Many of them declaring they will not continue much longer in such a state, but at all hazards will escape. The inhabitants are desperate and contriving means of escape. A floating battery of ours went out two nights ago and rode near the town and then discharged their guns. Some of the balls went into the workhouse, some through the tents in the common, and one through the sign of the lamb tavern. HE SAYS, IT DROVE THEM ALL OUT OF THE COMMON, MEN, WOMEN, AND CHILDREN, SCREAMING, AND THREW THEM INTO THE UTMOST DISTRESS. BUT VERY UNHAPPILY FOR US, IN THE DISCHARGE OF ONE OF THE CANNON, THE BALL, NOT BEING PROPERLY RAMMED DOWN, IT SPLIT AND KILLED TWO MEN AND WOUNDED SEVEN MORE, UPON WHICH THEY WERE OBLIGED TO RETURN. He also says that the Tories are much distressed about the fate of Dr. Church and very anxious to obtain him and would exchange Lovell for him. This man is so exasperated at the ill usage he has received from them that he is determined to enlist immediately. They almost starved him whilst he was in Irons. He says he hopes it will be in his power to send some of them to heaven for mercy. They are building a fort by the hay market and rending down houses for timber to do it with. In the course of the last week, several persons have found means to escape. One of them says it is talked in town that Howe will issue a proclamation giving liberty to all who will not take up arms to depart the town, and making it death to have any intercourse with the country afterwards. At present it looks as if there was no likelihood of peace. The ministry are determined to proceed at all events. The people are already slaves and have neither virtue nor spirit to help themselves nor us. The time is hastening when George, like Richard, may cry, my kingdom for a horse, and want even that wealth to make the purchase. I hope, by degrees we shall be inured to hardships, and become a virtuous, valiant people, forgetting our former luxury, and each one apply with industry and frugality to manufactures and husbandry, till we rival all other nations by our virtues. I thank you for your amusing account of the Quaker. Their great stress with regard to color in their dress, etc., is not the only ridiculous part of their sentiments with regard to religious matters. There's not a day but to the man of thought betrays some secret that throws new reproach on life and makes him sick of seeing more. What are your thoughts with regard to Dr. Church? Had you much knowledge of him? I think you had no intimate acquaintance with him. A foe to God was never true friend to man. Some sinister intent taints all he does. It is a matter of great speculation what will be his punishment. The people are much enraged against him. If he is set at liberty even after he has received a severe punishment, I do not think he will be safe. He will be despised and detested by everyone." and many suspicions will remain in the minds of people in regard to our rulers. They are for supposing this person is not sincere, and that one they have jealousy of. Have you any prospect of returning? I hope to have heard from you by the gentlemen who came as a committee here. But they have been here a week, and I have not any letters. My father and sister Betsy desire to be remembered to you, he is very disconsolate. It makes my heart ache to see him, and I know not how to go to the house. He said to me the other day, Child, I see your mother go to what part of the house I will. I think he has lost almost as much flesh as if he had been sick, and Betsy, poor girl, looks broken and worn with grief. These near connections, how they twist and cling about the heart, and, when torn off, draw the best blood from it. Each friend by fate snatched from us is a plume plucked from the wing of human vanity. Be so good as to present my regards to Mrs. Hancock. I hope she is very happy. Mrs. Warren called upon me on her way to Watertown. I wish I could as easily come to you as she can go to Watertown. But it is my lot— In the twelve years we have been married, I believe we have not lived together more than six. If you could, with any conveniency, procure me the articles I wrote for, I should be very glad, more especially the needles and cloth. They are in such demand that we are really distressed for one of them. Adieu, I think of nothing further to add, but that I am, with the tenderest regard, your Portia. Braintree, 22 October, 1775. To John Adams. Mr. Lothrop called here this evening, and brought me yours of the 1st of October, a day which will ever be remembered by me, for it was the most distressing one I ever experienced. That morning I rose and went into my mother's room, not apprehending her so near her exit, went to her bed with a cup of tea in my hand, and raised her head to give it to her. She swallowed a few drops, gasped, and fell back upon her pillow, opening her eyes with a look that pierced my heart and which I shall never forget. It was the eagerness of a last look, and, oh, the last sad silence of a friend." Yet she lived till five o'clock that day, but I could not be with her. My dear father prayed twice beside her bed that day. God Almighty was with him and supported him that day, and enabled him to go through the services of it. It was his communion day. He had there a tender scene to pass through, a young granddaughter, Betsy Cranch, joining herself to the church, and— a beloved wife dying to pray for. Weeping children, weeping and mourning parishioners all round him, for every eye streamed, his own heart almost bursting as he spoke. How painful is the recollection! And, yet, how pleasing! I know I wound your heart. Why should I? Ought I to give relief to my own by painting yours?' yet the grief that cannot speak whispers the 'er oer heart and bids it burst. My pen is always freer than my tongue. I have written many things to you that I suppose I never could have talked. My heart is made tender by repeated affliction. It never was a hard heart. The death of Patty came very near me, having lived four years with me under my care— I hope it will make me more continually mindful and watchful of all those who are still committed to my charge. Tis a great trust. I daily feel more and more of the weight and importance of it, and of my own inability. I wish I could have more of the assistance of my dearest friend, but these perilous times swallow him up. Mr. Lothrop has given me this account of the demand upon Falmouth a man of war and two tenders went down, and sent to the inhabitants to demand their arms and require them to stand neuter. They required time to consider. They had until nine o'clock the next day, which time they employed in removing the women, children, and the rest of their most valuable effects out of danger, when they sent their answer in the negative. Upon this the enemy began a cannonade, and were continuing it when the express came away. Hitchborne and another gentleman got out of town in a small boat, one of the foggy nights we have had this week. I have not heard what intelligence he brings. Another person says that Howe enlarged all the prisoners but Lovell, and he would not come out. I have since seen the paraphrase, as it is called, Note scurrilous publications made by the Tories and British officers in Boston during the siege. But tis as low as the mock oration, though no reflection upon your private character, further than immoderately whipping your scholars when you kept school, a crime anyone will acquit you of who knows you. As a specimen of the wit and humor it contained, I will give you the title a paraphrase upon the second epistle of John the Roundhead to James, the prolocutor of the Rump Parliament, Dear Devil, etc. I had it, but it was when I was in so much distress that I cared nothing about it. I will mention, when I see you, the foolish conjectures of some who want always to be finding out something extraordinary in whatever happens. I hope to hear often from you, which is all the alleviation i have in your absence and is next to seeing you the greatest comfort of your portia five november seventeen seventy five to john adams i hope you have received several letters from me in this fortnight past i wrote by mr lynch and by dr franklin the latter of whom i had the pleasure of dining with and of admiring him whose character from my infancy I had been taught to venerate. I found him social but not talkative, and, when he spoke, something useful dropped from his tongue. He was grave, yet pleasant and affable. You know I make some pretensions to physiognomy, and I thought I could read in his countenance the virtues of his heart, among which patriotism shone in its full lustre and with that is blended every virtue of a christian for a true patriot must be a religious man i have been led to think from a late defection note of dr church that he who neglects his duty to his maker may well be expected to be deficient and insincere in his duty towards the public even suppose him to possess a large share of what is called honor and public spirit. Yet do not these men, by their bad example, by a loose immoral conduct, corrupt the minds of youth and vitiate the morals of the age, and thus injure the public more than they can compensate by intrepidity, generosity, and honor. Let revenge or ambition, pride, lust, or profit tempt these men to a base and vile action you may as well hope to bind up a hungry tiger with a cobweb as to hold such debauched patriots in the visionary chains of decency, or to charm them with the intellectual beauty of truth and reason. But where am I running? I mean to thank you for all your obliging favors lately received, and though some of them are very laconic, yet were they to contain only two lines to tell me you were well they would be acceptable to me. I think, however, you are more apprehensive than you need be. The gentleman to whose care they have always been directed has been very kind in his conveyance, and very careful. I hope, however, that it will not now be long before we shall have nearer interviews. You must tell me that you will return next month. A late appointment will make it inconvenient, provided you accept for you to go again to congress it seems human nature is the same in all ages and countries ambition and avarice reign everywhere and where they predominate there will be bickerings after places of honor and profit there is an old adage kissing goes by favor that is daily verified i enclose to you the paper you sent for Your business in collecting facts will be very difficult, and the sufferings of this people cannot be described with pen, ink, and paper. Besides, these ministers of Satan are rendering it every day more and more difficult, by their ravages and devastation, to tell a tale which will freeze the young blood of succeeding generations, as well as harrow up the souls of the present." Nothing new has transpired since I wrote you last. I have not heard of one person's escape out of town, nor of any maneuver of any kind. I will only ask you to measure by your own the affectionate regard of your nearest friend. Braintree, 12 November, 1775. To John Adams. The intelligence you will receive before this reaches you will... I should think, make a plain path, though a dangerous one for you. Note, this probably alludes to the act passed by the Provincial Congress on the 10th of the month to authorize privateering. I could not join today in the petitions of our worthy pastor for a reconciliation between our no longer parent state, but tyrant state, and these colonies let us separate. They are unworthy to be our brethren. Let us renounce them, and instead of supplications as formerly, for their prosperity and happiness, let us beseech the Almighty to blast their counsels, and bring to naught all their devices. I have nothing remarkable to write you. A little skirmish happened last week, the particulars I have endeavored to collect, But whether I have the facts right, I am not certain. A number of cattle were kept at Leechmere's point, where two sentinels were placed. In a high tide, it is an island. The regulars had observed this, and a scheme was laid to send a number of them over and take off the stock. Accordingly, a number of boats and about four hundred men were sent. They landed, it seems, unperceived by the sentinels who were asleep one of whom they killed, and took the other prisoner. As soon as they were perceived, they fired the cannon from Prospect Hill upon them, which sunk one of their boats. But as the tide was very high, it was difficult getting over, and some time before any alarm was given. A Colonel Thompson of the riflemen marched instantly with his men, and though a very stormy day, they regarded not the tide nor waited for boats but marched over neck high in water and discharged their pieces when the regulars ran without waiting to get off their stock and made the best of their way to the opposite shore the general sent his thanks in a public manner to the brave officer and his men major mifflin i hear was there and flew about as though he would have raised the whole army MAY THEY NEVER FIND US DEFICIENT IN COURAGE AND SPIRIT. DR. FRANKLIN INVITED ME TO SPEND THE WINTER IN PHILADELPHIA. I SHALL WISH TO BE THERE UNLESS YOU RETURN. I HAVE BEEN LIKE A NUN IN A CLOISTER EVER SINCE YOU WENT AWAY, AND HAVE NOT BEEN INTO ANY OTHER HOUSE THAN MY FATHERS AND SISTERS, EXCEPT ONCE TO COLONEL QUINCY'S. INDEED, I HAVE HAD NO INCLINATION FOR COMPANY. My evenings are lonesome and melancholy. In the daytime, family affairs take off my attention, but the evenings are spent with my departed parent. I then ruminate upon all her care and tenderness, and am sometimes lost and absorbed in a flood of tenderness, ere I am aware of it, or can call to my aid my only prop and support. I must bid you adieu, tis late at night." most affectionately yours 27 november 1775 to john adams colonel warren returned last week to plymouth so that i shall not hear anything from you until he goes back again which will not be till the last of this month he damped my spirits greatly by telling me that the court note the general court of the province had prolonged your stay another month I was pleasing myself with the thought that you would soon be upon your return. It is in vain to repine. I hope the public will reap what I sacrifice. I wish I knew what mighty things were fabricating. If a form of government is to be established here, what one will be assumed? Will it be left to our assemblies to choose one? And will not many men have many minds? and shall we not run into dissensions among ourselves i am more and more convinced that man is a dangerous creature and that power whether vested in many or a few is ever grasping and like the grave cries give give the great fish swallow up the small and he who is most strenuous for the rights of the people when vested with power is as eager after the prerogatives of government. You tell me of degrees of perfection to which human nature is capable of arriving, and I believe it, but at the same time lament that our admiration should arise from the scarcity of the instances. The building up a great empire, which was only hinted at by my correspondent, may now, I suppose, be realized even by the unbelievers. Yet will not ten thousand difficulties arise in the formation of it? The reins of government have been so long slackened, that I fear the people will not quietly submit to those restraints which are necessary for the peace and security of the community. If we separate from Britain, what code of laws will be established, how shall we be governed so as to retain our liberties? Can any government be free which is not administered by general stated laws? Who shall frame these laws? Who will give them force and energy? It is true your resolutions as a body have hitherto had the force of laws, but will they continue to have? When I consider these things and the prejudices of people in favor of ancient customs and regulations, I FEEL ANXIOUS FOR THE FATE OF OUR MONARCHY OR DEMOCRACY OR WHATEVER IS TO TAKE PLACE. I SOON GET LOST IN A labyrinth OF PERPLEXITIES. BUT WHATEVER OCCURS, MAY JUSTICE AND RIGHTEOUSNESS BE THE STABILITY OF OUR TIMES AND ORDER ARISE OUT OF CONFUSION. GREAT DIFFICULTIES MAY BE SURMOUNTED BY PATIENCE AND PERSEVERANCE. I BELIEVE I HAVE TIRED YOU WITH POLITICS. As to news, we have not any at all. I shudder at the approach of winter when I think I am to remain desolate. I must bid you good-night. Tis late for me, who am much of an invalid. I was disappointed last week in receiving a packet by the post, and, upon unsealing it, finding only four newspapers. I think you are more cautious than you need be, all letters, I believe, have come safe to hand. I have sixteen from you, and wish I had as many more. Adieu, yours. Braintree, 10 December, 1775. To John Adams. I received your obliging favor by Mrs. Morgan, with the papers and the other articles you sent, which were very acceptable to me, as they are not to be purchased here. I shall be very choice of them. I have, according to your desire, been upon a visit to Mrs. Morgan, who keeps at Major Mifflin's. I had received a message from Mrs. Mifflin some time ago, desiring I would visit her. My father, who you know is very obliging in this way, accompanied me, and I had the pleasure of drinking coffee with the doctor and his lady, the major and his lady, and a Mr. and Mrs. Smith from New York, a daughter of the famous Son of Liberty, Captain Sears, Generals Gates and Lee, a Dr. McHenry and a Mr. Elwin, with many others who were strangers to me. I was very politely entertained and noticed by the generals, more especially General Lee, who was very urgent with me to tarry in town and dine with him and the ladies present at Hobgoblin Hall, but i excused myself the general was determined that i should not only be acquainted with him but with his companions too and therefore placed a chair before me into which he ordered mr spada to mount and present his paw to me for a better acquaintance i could not do otherwise than accept it that madam says he is the dog which mr Dash, has rendered famous. I was so little while in company with these persons, and the company so mixed, that it was almost impossible to form any judgment of them. The doctor appeared modest, and his lady affable and agreeable. Major Mifflin, you know, I was always an admirer of, as well as of his delicate lady. I believe Philadelphia must be an unfertile soil, or it would not produce so many unfruitful women. I always conceive of these persons as wanting one addition to their happiness. But in these perilous times, I know not whether it ought to be considered as an infelicity, since they are certainly freed from the anxiety every parent must feel for their rising offspring. I drank coffee one day with General Sullivan upon Winter Hill, he appears to be a man of sense and spirit. His countenance denotes him of a warm constitution, not to be very suddenly moved, but, when once roused, not very easily lulled, easy and social, well calculated for a military station, as he seems to be possessed of those popular qualities necessary to attach men to him. By the way, I congratulate you upon our late noble acquisition of military stores. Note, by the capture of the brig Nancy bound for Boston with ordnance from Woolwich. It is a most grand mortar, I assure you. Surely heaven smiles upon us in many respects, and we have continually to speak of mercies as well as of judgments. I wish our gratitude may be anywise proportionate to our benefits. I suppose in Congress you think of everything relative to trade and commerce, as well as other things, but as I have been desired to mention to you some things, I shall not omit them. One is that there may be something done in a continental way with regard to excise upon spirituous liquors, that each of the New England colonies may be upon the same footing, whereas we formerly used to pay an excise and the other colonies none, or very little, by which means they drew away our trade. That an excise is necessary, though it may be objected to by the mercantile interest, as a too frequent use of spirits endangers the well-being of society. Another article is that some method may be devised to keep among us our gold and silver, which are now every day shipped off to the West Indies for molasses, coffee and sugar. And this I can say of my own knowledge, that a dollar in silver is now become a great rarity, and our traders will give you a hundred pounds of paper for ninety of silver, or nearly that proportion. If any trade is allowed to the West Indies, would it not be better to carry some commodity of our own produce in exchange? Medicines, cotton wool, and some other articles we are in great want of formerly we used to purchase cotton wool at one shilling lawful money per bag now it is three and the scarcity of that article distresses us as it was wrought up with less trouble than any other article of clothing flax is now from a shilling to one and sixpence per pound sheep's wool eighteen pence and linens not to be had at any price i cannot mention the article in the english goods way which is not double and in the west india molasses by retail i used formerly to purchase at one and eight pence now it is two and eight pence rum three shillings coffee one and three pence and all other things in proportion corn is four shillings per bushel rye five oats three and eight pence hay five and six shillings per hundred wood twenty shillings per cord but meat of all kinds cheap my uncle quincy desires to be remembered to you he inquired when you talked of coming home i told him you had not fixed any time he says if you don't come soon he would advise me to procure another husband he of all persons ought not to give me such advice, I told him, unless he set a better example himself. Be kind enough to burn this letter. It is written in great haste, and a most incorrect scrawl it is. But I cannot conclude without telling you we are all very angry with your House of Assembly for their instructions. Note, it is a little doubtful to what this alludes, Probably to the application made by New Hampshire to Congress for advice to establish a form of government for itself. They raise prejudices in the minds of people and serve to create in their minds a terror at a separation from a people wholly unworthy of us. We are a little of the spaniel kind, though so often spurned still to fawn, argues a meanness of spirit that, as an individual, I disclaim and would rather endure any hardship than submit to it. Yours. End of section 9